Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. This is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. We step back into the ring, back into time. He is the Tennessee stud. Ron Fuller, what is going on in the Great Smoky Mountain stud? Well, man, it's pretty darn good, man, except for a little bit cloudy today. Uh, we're going to get the remnants of a of a old Ida, man, that uh, pretty nasty hurricane that just hit, hit down there in uh, Louisiana. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a little rain here. We might have a little bit of flooding, but uh, we're out still pretty. Doesn't make any difference. I'm telling you, Ida wasn't playing at all, and she was packing a punch when she came ashore just to the west of New Orleans. I got cousins down that way that we were checking on, and fortunately, listen, they've been there and done that a bunch of times, and so they were ready to ride it out, and fortunately for them, everybody there is safe, and of course, a lot of folks are hurting, and, and we think about them and our thoughts and prayers as well but hey it's uh it's good to be here in southeast alabama it's good to be in the smoky mountains right oh yeah man uh, enjoying every minute of it it's a lovely place to be for darn sure all right you've got so much going on let's get started by saying about another another great one today we're gonna have a rare live guest his name is william harding he's from the great state of kentucky and he's going to tell us the tremendous story of how he, 40 years ago, won a $1,000 bet for breaking the famous sugar hold applied by Olympian Bob Roop. And is, I don't guess it was necessarily a bet, but maybe it was. If you break the hole, you get $1,000. And this guy's going to have an amazing story to tell us. Oh, yeah, man. I'm really looking forward to this. I've not heard it. Uh, so you know this is a uh, this is really going to be uh, good for me too, man. I'm, and uh, and I hope the fans out there are going to enjoy it as well, man. Absolutely. First, though, Southeastern Rewind, your YouTube channel has passed. This is awesome. Another threshold, Ron. You have become one of the rare channels to pass the one thousand subscribers and four thousand viewer hours plateau in just over two months. Congratulations, dude. That tells you about the fan base you've got out there pulling for you every day. 
Oh man, I, I appreciate it, and I, and I really thank thank everybody out there, Dave. Wow, it's the fans that deserve credit for something like this, uh, and I thank every one of them out there, those that have subscribed. And uh, boy, we're off to a great start here with Southeastern Rewind, and you know we owe it uh, some of it to that great and uh, very rare 1978 Southeastern TV show. Now we've got three USA TV shows on there, and. Uh, all of them, man, are big hits. I mean, people really, really enjoying them. And uh, each of those shows is followed by a new video show called uh, Rewind Review. Uh, so all those TV shows, we're going to do a Rewind Review just a few days after they come out, the shows. And Les Thatcher and I are going to break down everything that happens during those shows. All the facts that uh, fans want to know, the behind-the-scenes stuff that they never get to, uh, to take a part of. And uh and so um, yeah, really, really having some fun with it, too, Dave. Uh, it's really, really exciting for me, man. Oh, it sure seems like To be like able it. to watch these old shows. Yeah. Uh, you, oh. know? So, you know, <laughs> I can't believe it, man. And, and what's really great is the quality in, of, uh, of a, lot of the, a lot of the shows. I mean, uh, I, I would have thought, man, after 40 years or so that, uh, you know, it, that it's not going to be good. But, wow, I've been real happy with a lot of it so far. That's that's kind of funny. Well, I mean, what's it like for you? You're probably seeing stuff that you had forgotten happened and that kind of stuff. And you you might be seeing yourself going, man, I, I look, look really good back then. Do you say that? <laughs> Do you say that a lot, stud? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, but then I have to go and look in the mirror, though, man. Oh, come on. <laughs> today, and, uh, you know, hey. uh, that, that part of it, I guess I'm not too fond of, but uh, <laughs> wow, I, I really then, enjoy the shows, though, man, and watching oh, yeah. the old matches and, and the old guys do their thing. Uh, they still call you the stud. All right, so those Rewind Review shows, they're really fascinating viewing. It really is. Also, on there now are the first 18 original studcasts, plus 17 of the extremely popular, never-before-heard, Tell me more shows. Three days after each studcast, you answer five fan questions from that studcast. Of course, I love hosting these with you. Tell me more shows. You'll find them on the YouTube channel. And I love how these shows go in all different directions. I mean, you turn stories into something that we've never heard before. And a lot of the stuff that came out of these studcasts that we didn't know about, so we're we're still picking stuff from you. So speaking of something new, Rod, tell us about tell us about your great your new big idea. What is this? Well, you know, Dave, since I started doing these studcasts, I've always wanted to do something with them that was live for fans, so they could interact, so I could interact with them while I'm actually doing them, and uh, and I think this is going to be something very special, man. Uh, and in fact, we're going to start it on Wednesday, October 13th uh, in, 2000, in 2021. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're fans in Tennessee and all over the country are invited to come to Knoxville and have dinner with me. Dinner with the stud is what I'm calling it. And, uh, and it's going to take place in the historic uh, Calhoun's on the River restaurant right on the banks of the Tennessee River just about 200 yards from the University of Tennessee's Nayland Stadium. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be uh, more than two hours long with a fantastic free buffet dinner, uh, compliments of me, one-hour special stud cast with Les Thatcher and I, and it'll be followed in the second hour by a question and answer from all the guests that are actually there and at the dinner. 
Well, I've had I've had dinner with you. I've had lunch with you. You're a very neat uh, eater, I guess you would diner. Uh, I did, one time in Nashville, I had dinner with the Kentucky Headhunters, and it sounded just like their name. So, in, anyway, uh, <laughs> all right, that's what it looked like too at Bob Evans in Nashville. All right, so th- this is so cool, Ron. Book a seat now. I mean, g- get me set up for this thing. I do have an inside track, right? All right. So I've never heard of a podcast dinner like this, though, especially at a restaurant as famous as Calhoun's on the river in Knoxville. So anybody in the Knoxville area, they got to be on this. Well, you know, and and there's a lot more to it than that, actually, Dave. You know, each fan's not only going to get the free dinner, but they're going to get two free autograph photos, one from me and uh, one from Les Thatcher. And, uh, and that's a $30 value alone just in those two photos. And plus, you're going to get the free dinner and the from one of the great restaurants in the country. The entire event's going to be recorded. And uh, those asking questions are going to have the opportunity to be seen on YouTube worldwide. Sweet. <laughs> All right, let me get this straight. So a free buffet dinner from one of the best restaurants in America, two free 8 by 10 autograph photos from you and Les Thatcher, a one-hour special recorded stud cast and a one-hour recorded question and answer show. So fans asking questions can be seen on YouTube worldwide. That is unreal, Ron. And Les's head is just going to continue growing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. well, we ain't finished yet, Dave. You know, there's going to be a surprise guest at this one. There, oh, there, oh. There's a cash bar there in case you want to come and really enjoy yourself and, uh, and leave, uh, leave uh, having really had a wonderful evening. And uh, there's going to be door prizes coming from local sponsors in that Knoxville area. So, wow, this, this thing, I think it's going to be really, really special. Like I said, I think it's going to be really something that's going to become popular. That's cool. It's uh, And Les is a lot of fun to hang out with. He, he loves to have a good time, too. All right, so how much is this going to cost? For a free dinner with the stud and everything else that you just described. you you got to be into the, I don't know, a couple of hundred dollars. Oh, geez. Uh, we're going to do this for $30 a person. Dave. Ooh, so, so and, and, and when, when you get your tickets, you know, um, uh, you, you, bear in mind, you're going to get a free dinner from one of the best restaurants in the country. You're going to mm-hmm. get two pictures. The value of that is $30 alone, just the two photos, if you were to buy them off the website. So you get the tickets, and if you're interested, folks, and uh, and I think a lot of people are going to be interested in it, uh, uh, you can get the tickets on my website, tnstud.com. Uh, you click the stud store, and uh, and you click on the dinner, dinner with a stud photo. Uh, there's actually a photo there of the restaurant, uh, the beautiful restaurant. It's right on the banks of the Tennessee River. Uh, wow. So yeah, I think it's going to be a special event. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be big stud. It's going to be a lot of fun for a lot of fans. So fans better start booking now. And then they're they're going to come from everywhere when they start finding out. You're, we're going to be reminding folks along the way, I'm sure. And why not from everywhere? For the price of two photos, you're going to get that you'll get for free. You're also to get, going to get the free buffet dinner with the stud at a fantastic restaurant. Two hours of unique entertainment, a special guest on top of that, and the opportunity to be seen worldwide asking your questions of the stud right there. This idea is off the charts, Ron. That's awesome. Congratulations. 
Well, thank you very much, That's man. Cool. Uh, I've been thinking about it for a long time. I'm really, really happy with the potential this has. And uh, wow, it just, uh, it's great to be able to have a live event. I've been wanting to have a live event. I love to communicate with people and get those questions, uh, uh, hear the laughter. Uh, we're going to, we're going to have a great time, man, on October the 13th, uh, down there at, uh, at Calhoun's on the river. Well, it's certainly going to be difficult to follow. That's a fun idea, Ryan. So, but, so you want to do a stud cast today? Are we, are we cool with that? You up for it? Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Heck yes, man. We got a great one today, man. We got, All right. we got something special in this one too. Hey, let's do it. So where do we ride to first today? Well, you know, because uh, because we've got a very rare live guest, uh, we're we're not going to have any today's training in this one. No learning tree in this one. Uh, we're going to ride obviously in the Knoxville's Chihai Parks Amphitheater for this next great card that we're talking about. And after you know, after that introduction last week of that new cage in the last studcast, uh, which was maybe the largest crowd in southeastern Knoxville's history at seven thousand plus. Uh, both Yola Duke and the Stomper had to be carried out of the cage. And uh, Gorgeous George Jr. then refuses to allow Yola Duke another shot at his Stomper. And uh, and he's good to his word. Yola uh, Duke isn't going to get another chance to wrestle the Mongolian Stomper in Knoxville, Tennessee, for three months until the first ever Thanksgiving night card in the history of the Knoxville Coliseum. Wow. Okay. So, so, uh, so we're leaving some time. Uh, in this studcast, too, for a very unusual live interview with a man that I think you mentioned 40 years ago did something that's never been done before that I'm aware of. He escaped from Bob Roop's sugar hole and he won a thousand dollars for doing it. And, uh, you know, and I want to have, uh, you know, I want to leave him plenty of time in this program to tell his story, which I think is a super story. And, uh, and I look forward to getting Mr. Harding on the phone uh, later in this studcast. All right. So it sounds like we're going to be riding right into the amphitheater on this one today, stud. So what, uh, what about the card for Friday, August 19th, 1977, Ron? Well, you know, it was what a, that I used to call as a booker, a, a transition week, this card. Uh, there had been a whole lot of angles and return matches in the last five weeks in a row with the same two main events, basically. They had all drawn record crowds, you know, or near record crowds, and especially the Friday night before when we did more than 7,000 fans for the first time ever, we went over that 7,000 plateau. So it was time basically to change things before we lost the momentum we had going. And usually when you were at this point as a booker, you expected you're going to have a slight drop in your crowd before you established the new programs and the new angles that were going to create that uh, big, uh, that big crowd uh, flowing in there to see those matches. The opening match on this night was that five fast rising star, Roy Welchman, that uh, really is making a big mark right away. And he's wrestling against another future star, Jerry Stubbs. Uh, the great young star, Ricky Gibson, the older brother of Robert Gibson of rock and roll fame. Uh, he was returning after a long absence to Southeastern, and he was facing an amateur champion, George McCrary, a great amateur wrestler. Robert Fuller, my brother, was facing off against the former fabulous kangaroo, Al Costello. Tony Charles was again headed into another program with Doug Gilbert, the pro. They'd had a two-week deal 
Now they're set for about another three weeks to be with each other. Uh, and then the new team's going to be facing the Southeastern Tag Champions, Mr. Knoxville, who is Ronnie Garvin, and Bob Wharton Jr. They're managed at this point by Al Costello. And this new powerhouse of a team is Bob Armstrong and Joel Duke. Wow. <laughs> Uh, pretty pretty heavy duty. Yeah. Uh, so, and the main event for this night is the Southeastern Championship. It's uh, Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. He's going to be defending against me, and I'm going to have my brother in the corner. All right. So, you got Robert as a little backup. That's another huge card right there. Absolutely. So, my guess is we're taking a look at the TV for Saturday, August 13th of 77. Oh, boy. You're Mr. Pickles, man. You're way out front now, Dave. I tell you, you're riding point. I think that's what they call it, man. When they sent those scouts out, man, you're riding point. Thank you. Thank you for noticing. You know, and you, 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 you do become quite a pair, man. Uh, so so this TV has got uh, – it opens up with big news. Uh, and that big news was Harley Race was returning to defend the NWA world title. He was going to be there on Friday night, October 7th, 1977, Whoa. which is about six weeks down the road from this card. And uh, Les ran down the card, uh, including my defense on this particular TV against uh, of my TV trophy against the Mongolian Stomper, which was the main event in probably most cities in the country. Uh, they were going to get to see it on Southeastern TV for free. And uh, Les then opened up the show with this still shot of Harley behind him. And he had the director, Bill Kincaid, put that interview into action. And then Harley hadn't been seen or heard from since he survived the challenge of Bob Armstrong, who wrestled him two months earlier on June 24th in 1977. Uh, Harley was brief, man, and extremely confident which, you know, he didn't have any problem being confident, but, you know, this one was even brief. And, uh, you know, he basically, uh, he honed in on the fact he was looking forward to coming back to Hillbilly Heaven, which he already had his name for <laughs> Southeastern, I guess. Yep, he, yeah. he called into Hillbilly Heaven now. And uh, he said something to the effect that didn't make any difference who he met because he was the baddest man on God's green earth. Hello, there you, you know, go. The same <laughs> old Harley, man. He's still <laughs> cocky as can be, and he's only seven weeks away from returning. But I wasn't ready to push the world title match at this point. We really had such great momentum in the last uh, five weeks or so. I didn't want to take the attention away from from a crew that was really on fire. And they were just working against each other and were drawing these huge crowds. So I, I liked the fact that his interview was short, it was sweet, and it was newsworthy only. <laughs> he didn't take over the show. He just says, I'm coming in seven weeks. And then we got back to business. Wow. And the business was <laughs> to get these crowds uh, to stay at that level as long as we could. But you know so, he was he was such a strong personality. It only took a few seconds for Harley Race to make a point. Yeah, yeah. He he had a, he had charisma, man. Yeah, there's no doubt yeah. about that. Wow. And uh, all yeah. world champions, especially those NWA world champions, yeah. had that. Yeah, and uh, and he had he had more than his share of it. <laughs> so so Bob Armstrong and Joe LaDuke, they're going to open this TV show uh, with a. With the right in front of a studio crowd that's just going to be blown away by this combination. I mean, they get they enter the studio together side by side. Those two powerhouses. I was like, wow! And the 
studio just went crazy. And so then they, after their match, then they won their match quickly. They took the entire two-minute first interview, saying that this was their first time ever as a team. They covered the fact they had never wrestled as a team. And then I think Joe LaDuke said, uh, you know, Bob, we may be the strongest team that's ever in the history of the sport been together. And and that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty true. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe LaDuke could pull a bus, man. <laughs> We've seen him do tug of wars with 10 men. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and Bob Armstrong, when you look at Bob, you can pretty well tell he, he's not a weak dude, that's for sure. So, uh, <laughs> and they, you know, they both said, you know, they're ready to take the undefeated champions, which is really an amazing fact. My Mr. Knoxville, um, you know, Ronnie Garvin and Bob Wharton Jr. Uh, had never lost the, the match, a match, period. Hmm. So, you know, uh, they're undefeated, and here comes the man. I mean, the powerhouses to test them. So the pro was at the set for the second segment, and uh, he watched his win from the night before he had wrestled Mr. Wrestling number two. And, uh, you know, and what a great win he had. Wow, he put wrestling two to sleep. It was like, wow, you know, you never saw that, man. Wrestling two did. He didn't lose a whole lot of matches. And uh, boy, then uh, the pro, he goes to the ring, man, and he destroys another opponent, same way he had been. He put the sleeper hold on him. He ragdolled him around, slung him and slung him. And, uh, you know, and then uh, finally he released the guy, and uh, but he refused to wake him up. So the referee, you know, this had happened a couple of times before. I guess he'd had enough of this. So he just had him ring the bell a second time. He rang the bell to raise the pro's hand. And then when he wouldn't break the kid up, he rang the bell and he disqualified him, you know. And, uh, oh, wow. So pro, pro was upset. So he just left the ring. He left the kid laying there. He, he Nobody's waking him up. Hmm. So Tony Charles comes down to the ring and, uh, you know, he understands that this is very dangerous. You don't leave somebody in that hole, uh, and not go back and try to get them to get that blood circulating again. So he jumps in the ring and he, and he wakes the kid up. He smacks him on the back a couple of times and, uh, and he, and he, he, you know, he rubs his carotid artery and, uh, you know, and the kid finally, you know, got up on his feet. And when he did, Tony got him up, uh, Tony raised his hand. And the crowd popped. You know, they were happy to see him. The kid's all right. But they were also happy to see Tony Charles, who was a great guy, come and do what he should do. But the pro's still standing by. He's watching it, and he didn't like it. So he came back to the ring, hmm. uh, and he threatened to attack Tony. And uh, Tony just, uh, you know, Tony just gave him the old hand signal, come on in, have you some, you know, and uh, – Pro thought better of it. And then Tony went back to the injured baby face again, who was still trying to get his composure. And he raised his hand in victory again. And the crowd popped again. So the pro stormed out of the big studio and into Studio B. And uh, Tony got a hand, man, when he helped the young guy back to the dressing room. And then Tony went to the set for the second interview. And the pro uh, from his Studio B uh, uh, listened to Tony. And uh, Tony led off with the fact that the pro had just uh, got beat on TV. Hmm. You know, hmm. He turned this, turned the big time victory into a defeat. He said basically, he 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 might have he might have uh, erupted up the kid, but hmm. 
he actually lost the match. He goes, he shouldn't even be wrestling a guy like me. Why am I wrestling a loser on TV? You know, so all pro didn't like that. Obviously, <laughs> when it was his turn, he started <laughs> telling Charles to stay out of my business, man. If I want to leave him laying, you better stay out of the ring. You better not mess with me. And then he ended up saying, you know, I'm going to ragdoll your little tiny Englishman, but come Friday night, right? <laughs> So so they had a little thing going between these two guys. Uh, Tony was probably a good 50 pounds lighter than the pro, but wow, Tony Charles had a lot of fight in him. So uh, they were going to have great matches. There's no no doubt about that. So, uh, you know, then then, uh, we come to personality profile in this show. And Les has a, you know, very popular Ricky Gibson on the profile. Ricky had been there uh, more than a year earlier. And, and was really over. Fans really liked him. He's a great worker. And, uh, and so, you know, I think he was even better than his brother, to be honest. He, you know, he was, he, he just, he had tremendous fire. He was just really good. Hmm. And, uh, you know, and he talked about how excited he was to be back in Southeastern. Turned out to be a great profile. I mean, you know, because it stuck mostly with what personality profiles were designed for. You know, we we set those things up, you know, where less just talk to people about inside information and your family and, you know, uh, how do you work out all these little bitty tidbits that fans want to know about. And uh, so fans gave Ricky a big hand when it was over. And unlike most guys, when you got up, when that profile was over and you and you just left the studio in the opposite direction, he left the studio and went straight in the adjacent one where all the fans were watching and started shaking hands. And uh, the ever sharp uh, Bill Kincaid, Bill Kincaid, the director, man, uh, uh, he had his cameraman ready, man. And they picked up a great shot, man, that told the story about Ricky Gibson and the fans and uh, his love for the fans and their love for him, man. And Les was closing the profile and they get the shot of Ricky going around shaking the hands. So Southeastern Tag Champions, Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, and Bob Wharton Jr. were next. And they didn't change anything about what they'd been doing on every TV. And it didn't make any difference what the competition was. So Mr. Knoxville, he knee-dropped one opponent from the top rope. Orton applied his backbreaker to the other, and, and then he dropped his opponent on his head on top of Garvin's victim. And Al Costello, man, bolted in the ring as they were getting their hands raised. He had a grin on his face as wide as Australia, man. <laughs> he was he was riding high. He had his two young boys, <laughs> and he was headed toward taking them to the world championship. Mm. So Costello went for the next interview, started it off, and he tore into the new challengers in, in the next interview. And the new challengers was those big boys, <laughs> Charlie Duke and Bob Armstrong. <laughs> and, you know, and while all this was going on, the two champions were just slowly uh, uh, taking turns uh, helping each other put their belts around their waist. You know, they, they were an extremely confident trio, man, the three of them. But there was no ordinary team they were going to be facing the following Friday night. And uh, this thing was looking very interesting to me. I said, I could see, well, we got some future with this one, man. So the studio was lit when I brought the giant TV trophy in for the last match of the show. And uh, Stomper was already in the ring. Gorgeous George Jr. had removed Stomper's belt. 
And uh, and I probably should have paid attention when I set the trophy up on the apron of the ring that, uh, you know, George made a point of getting the stomper already, and I wasn't really ready. And when I got to crawl through the ropes, he, he jumped me. And uh, Phil Rainey, who was hard fight of the stomper, uh, he never finished the introductions. He's, he, he, he dived out on the floor almost on the concrete to get away from the stopper. And, uh, and the match was started, man. I was defending my Southeastern title. He never even announced that I'm defending the Southeastern title. He didn't care. So. Oh my! Uh, you could do a best of tape with Phil Rainey jumping over the rope every time the stomper comes in the oh, ring. Oh yeah, that's yeah, awesome. And, and, yeah, <laughs> it was great, yeah. and everybody loved it. All the wrestlers—they all gave him so much, so much to flack about it. That it was horrible. So you know, so it did take Stomper, man. He had a good start, and, uh, and boy, he had me bleeding within a couple of minutes, and must have stomped me in the face uh, five times at least. And then my brother, you know, who was going to be my manager the next Friday night, he came to ringside, and uh, and he started to slap his hands on the apron of the ring, trying to get the crowd fired up, right? And uh, by golly, in this match. Something happened, man. Something rare happened. Uh, you know, Stomper had been there for almost a year at this point. And, uh, and this studio crowd of probably maybe 150 people, they sounded like 1,500, man. And they're right there on top of the ring in those tiny studios. And those studios really had great sound in them, so obviously. So, and then they got into the match. And they started to chant, go, run, go, the whole crowd, man. And the Stomper kind of stopped pounding on me and he started covering his ears, you know, <laughs> instead of covering me. I mean, he could have won the match, but instead he was covering his ears and the fans watched it and they, they just got louder. And uh, so I started to fight back and then the studio was electric at that point. Hmm. So Gigi, he jumps up on the apron and he put his hands over the stompers ears and the crowd just got even louder. It was like, wow, everything was happening here. It had to do with the stomper and his, and and he seemed to have pain in his ears. And uh, you know, crowd just kept getting louder and louder. They were so loud that the fans at home, when I watched this show back, which I always did, I like to go watch the program back again. Uh, that I couldn't hear the commentary of less. They, they were drowning out less. Wow. You know? It was, <laughs> wow. it was pure pandemonium in the studio. I mean, and the stomper finally, you know, uh, he, he had a weakness and the crowd kind of realized what it was. So stomper actually jumped out of the ring. He put his hands over his ears and he headed for the dressing room. <laughs> Gigi's but trailing <laughs> along behind him. You know, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the referee counted him out. He raised my hand. I won. You know, so for the first time ever, the crowd, I felt like, had beat the Stomper. Mm -hmm. And something strange was beginning to happen with the Stomper. I wonder, do you think he just had sensitive ears or maybe the Stomper had anxiety? I don't, I don't know. All right, Ron, that's, that's crazy. So what are we doing? What are we doing this time? Well, you know... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it wasn't me, Dave. You know, the, the, I didn't really do anything to him here. And the crowd kind of, I think, had accidentally <laughs> discovered the Stompers got a weakness, man. And the, so the, imagine now the following Friday night when you're going to have 6,000 fans in the amphitheater. <laughs> right. You know, 
this storyline is going to start to make history in this sport. And you're, you're certainly not going to take advantage of it. I know you better that you're absolutely going to take advantage of it, aren't you? Uh, well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> all right i can't wait to get the answers all right to that one stud what are you going to do to him stud all right so hey i tell you what let's take our break right here and come back to find the answer to the stompers weakness and as we as we take a brief break remember to find southeastern rewind on youtube subscribe ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on YouTube and be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. And while you got a second, while you're maybe freshening up your beverage, check out tnstud.com about that incredible dinner that the stud was talking about. And you can be involved in that as well. Hey, we'll take a break. This stud cast will continue in a moment right here. Most fans are aware that Ron Fuller Welch has known success in more than just wrestling. And knowing him as I do, he's probably more proud of being an author than anything else he's ever done. When you read the phenomenal Brutus reviews on Amazon.com Brutus novel, you realize how his lion story has affected people all over the world. Brutus is much deeper than a man-eating lion. Ron develops strong characters that move us between love and hate. Even the lion evokes those feelings. More than 50 five-star reviews and a common comparison to Jaws tells the tale. If you enjoy what the stud does, especially his stories, why not experience by far his best? To get this soon-to-be classic novel, Amazon.com Brutus Novel, or the personally autographed copy from the man himself at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store and find Brutus. Only $29.99. Free shipping. Be ready for chills. tnstud.com. Open 24-7, 365. Hey, welcome back. It's another Studcast. David Summers with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller, doing it from the great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. All right, so welcome back with us. And Ron, what is the storyline having to do with the Stomper that is going to make wrestling history? So you've kind of got us going on that. Tell us what's up. We're not so fast now, Dave. What? You know, I'll get to it in due time, but, uh, you know, uh, right now it's not quite due time yet. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that. I should have known. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to, uh, all this kayfabing uh, happening around here, right? It just, it never <laughs> stops. <laughs> well, not totally, man. Not totally, you know, but, uh, but first let's get the results of this card. Okay. Uh, the Friday night, August the 19th, 1977 card. Um, uh, and it starts off uh, with that continuing Roy Lee Welch story, man. You know, he's becoming a bigger baby face each week. Wow, it's amazing. I'd never seen a first match guy create a big following. And, and I don't know if any other booker hmm. anywhere ever had hmm. first match guy that's going to go out there and, uh, and, and fans are really going to be crazy about it. Hmm. So, um, so Roy was work, working on, on this match with, a boy, a really fast-rising heel, man, a guy that's just getting better every match, Jerry Stubbs. And, uh, you know, Jerry's going to be a star in the future, not only under his own name of Jerry Stubbs, but he's going to be an even bigger star under the mask of Mr. Olympia. So the first match, uh, this first match uh, got a pop at the end. It was almost as big as the main event. I went out and watched it because I was really curious about – What's happening with Roy Lee and all this crowd? 
So Stubbs, uh, you know, worked Roy's back during the entire match, uh, particularly with slams. And uh, and Roy sold everything so good. He had he had sympathy of almost everybody in the amphitheater. Man, they were almost crying some of them. Right, and he started after a bunch of body slams, barely kicking out after each slam, and every time. Stubbs would slam him. He would pin him. He'd go for the pin, and Roy would kick out. And Stubbs finally had him really dragging, man. It's so bad that he had to help him to get up on his feet so he could get him up to slam him again. You know, he'd reach down on the mat and drag him up, and then he'd get underneath him in a position and slam him one more time. So uh, he had done this to him about two times, and the third time he did it to him, he drug him up, and he got him on his shoulders again for the slam. Roy Mann slid down his back, smooth as a snake, Dave, I'm telling you, right into his <laughs> dad's abdominal stretch, man. Wow. And that crowd exploded. <laughs> so they knew it was over. You know, he'd already established his dad's hold, the abdominal stretch. <laughs> and it was really wonderful to have a first match wrestler that's going to open every card like that. I, I'd never experienced that before as a booker. And I don't think a whole lot of bookers ever did. <laughs> uh, Ricky Gibson, he was uh, it was his first match back in Knoxville. He's in the second match and uh, he carried that momentum right on in and through the second match. He got a great win over George McCrary. Uh, and he used another wrestling move to get that win, which was great. Uh, we were, I mean, they were doing a lot of ma wrestling in these matches. Uh, Robert Fuller and Al Costello uh, took it, took the whole thing up a notch, man. And for the first time, I saw the greatness in that veteran Al Costello. Wow, what a match they had! Costello got great heat. He was just, he, you could tell he he knew how to do it. And, uh, and he beat Robert with a simple use of Rob's tights. Wow. Rob hit, hooked him with an O'Connor roll, and he reached up and grabbed Rob's tights and drug him over, and he got the count on Rob ah. with a very simple move. And a lot of heat, too, man. When he left the ring, the people were so mad, mm -hmm. and so was Rob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it was a remarkable card. Uh, you know, it had great combinations, and like the fourth match. The fourth match was even better than the three first ones, and uh, that was Tony Charles and Doug Gilbert, the Mass Pro. And, uh, boy, Tony exploded that amphitheater, man. He hit that big guy with one of the best throws I had seen him do yet, another brand-new one. He sent him – he sent him – he sent him look like twice as high as the top rope, and he covered him. As soon as he hit the mat, he went so high that Tony was waiting on him to come down to wow. cover him. God. And, you know, I mean, it was just amazing. And, the, you know, then the crowd just, uh, obviously, Tony Charles was really over. Hmm. Wow. Southeastern tag match. This tag match with the two big guys against the, the great team, it really had it all, man. And, and it got to where one referee went down and a second referee came to the ring. And at the end of the match, one man on each team was pinned and they were kind of laying side by side. And one referee counted out one of the guys, one of the two, and the other referee counted out the other one at the same time. So, uh, wow. so, you know, and, uh, and, you know, they didn't realize the referees, what had happened until they signaled for the bell and they both stood up and they raised each, each one guy on each team's hand. So, uh, you know, one of them uh, 
took the belt to the team that he thought had won the match, and the other one took the other belt and gave it to the other team guy. So, you know, neither referee then looked at each other, and you could tell, like, what are we doing? What, what are we going to do? So both teams were just kind of standing there waiting on the referees to make a decision, and that didn't happen, so they got into it again. Armstrong and LaDuke, they chased Knoxville, Mr. Knoxville uh, Garvin and Ronnie Gordon. Ron Orton, right <laughs> straight to the dressing room. And, uh, and then when they returned to the ring, the referees had Phil Rainey announced that the title belts were going to be held up, that uh, with uh, that uh, there was no winner and uh, with no champions uh, in Southeastern until the match the following Friday night. They're mm. going to bring them back again, and whoever wins the match is going to be the new or the old Southeastern champion. Wow. Some of the fans in the stands, uh, Dave cheered, and by golly, some of them booed. You know, well, like, yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they, they were they split as the referees in the decision. Obviously, it, it ain't over till it's over. All right, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. All right, Ron, so tell us about your Southeastern title match with the Stomper. That had to be big. Well, you know, first off, Dave, I won the match by disqualification. Because Gorgeous George Jr., he got involved, you know, and he actually got involved to force the disqualification uh, of his stomper huh. to keep the stomper from losing his belt. But but why does why does Gigi get involved in this match? What was happening to cause? I mean, what did he do to cause the interference? What happened? Well, it, the crowd, man, it, the crowd there seemed to have watched the TV from uh, the Saturday before. Okay, and and they just started doing the same thing that TV crowd had done, except there's six thousand of them, and uh, they were driving the stomper crazy, man. Mm -hmm. It was the loudest roars I had ever heard. It was like, geez, I can't believe a crowd could make this kind of noise, and uh, you know, and every time that. That, that the decibels went up there. So did Stomper's hands go for his ears. He was like, oh, man. So he was constantly covering his ears. You could see the pain in his face. It's like, this is hurting him. So and every time he tried to take over the match, the crowd would go crazy and start those big roars again. So basically, the crowd won the match for me. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, Gigi could see what was happening. You know, his stomper wasn't going to be able to win. He wasn't going to stay in the ring, just like he had done on the Saturday before. He started to leave the ring, and Gigi jumped in there in the ring intentionally to get him to disqualify the stomper, or I was going to win the belt. Hmm. So, I, it, you know, it yeah, pretty sharp move by Gigi. Yeah, I was going to say, the, yeah, he it's probably all he could do at that point. So, uh, all right, if that was the case, how is he going to – stop the crowds from affecting future matches. And this seems to be like, okay, it's the second time it's happened, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Second time in a row that, uh, you know, he's, he's starting to have a big problem here, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, and that one, uh, I'm not going to answer that one right now, man. Uh, but I'm going to get to it <laughs> soon. <laughs> All right. So getting these answers, Ron is, is as difficult as pulling teeth from you. Thank you very much for that. All right. So how about the attendance? I bet you'll throw that out there for August 19th of 77. You had to, uh, another big night, no doubt. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really big, man. We just had so much momentum. We, we were on fire. Southeastern was on fire everywhere we went. And, uh, so uh, we were over 6,000 again. You know, I don't know exactly how much over 6,000. We weren't up to that cage match level of the week before, but we were 
we were in the ballpark, basically, you know, just to, <laughs> to phrase it that way. Uh, we were averaging close to 6,000 a night for the entire summer at this point. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty awesome right there. And I know you were very proud of that. All right. I think we're at a pretty good time in the show that let's get our live guests set up. So, I mean, uh, what, what do you think, Stud? You want to do this? Oh, oh yeah, man. I, I think this is going to be extremely interesting for for our fans, man, we've never done anything like this on the studcast. And, uh, you know, and I, like I said earlier, I, I, I don't know the story. I've never heard the story. And I, and I doubt that many others out there have either. So, uh, so let's get Mr. Harding. Uh, and, uh, I got to thank him right now before he even could, gets on with us, you know, let's get him on the line and, uh, and let's do what studcast do Dave. Uh, let's give our listeners some unique wrestling history that they're probably not going to find anywhere else. Oh, absolutely. All right, let's do that right now. All right, William, are you there? I am here. Hey, tell us uh, from the beginning, what town are you in? Where are you, where are you calling us from? I'm in Trenton, Kentucky right now. Okay, how far? about how far from Knoxville, just so we kind of have a have an idea? I'm not real sure. I'm about 20 miles east of Hopkinsville, okay. Kentucky, and about uh, 20 miles north of Clarksville, Tennessee. There you go. If that tells you anything. All right. Hey, thanks for your time today. We appreciate that. And the studs, uh, the studs got some interesting stuff to talk about with you today. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. As, as a matter of fact, I do, William. And uh, thank you very much, man, for coming on with me today. You are part of a pretty remarkable event several years ago now. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to kind of jump right into it, uh, William. What date uh, was this on and uh, what city did this actually happen? And then I've been uh, make sure everybody knows what we're talking about. Uh, you're the gentleman that escaped from the sugar hole. Yeah, it was uh, June 3rd, 1981, 40 years ago this year. I'll be done, and man. Took place in uh, Frankfort, Kentucky. Okay, right outside Lexington, correct? Yeah, it's pretty about close. 25 miles from Lexington. Yeah, yeah, pretty close to Lexington. So, uh, uh, this to kind of uh, get fans uh, acclimated here is what we're talking about. Uh, uh, what size were you when this took place 40 at, years ago? At the time, I was 5'7 and right around 155 pounds. Right. Okay. Because uh, we have, uh, we've, we've talked uh, uh, on our studcast here a little bit about this particular event. And uh, so, uh, what were the rules to the challenge? I mean, uh, I know they were giving away $1,000. Uh, and so, tell me what the actual rules was. What do you had to accomplish to get the money? Well, what would happen is it was an open competition to anybody and Bob Roof would put you in his patented sugar hole and it was your job to get out of it. That's all of the rules that I knew at that time. So that's what I was going on. But later on, they tried to say there was a time limit, but we'll get into that shortly. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Because I know there was a problem after, after things went down. So, uh, hmm. so tell me kind of how the, how it went. Uh, Tell me, I know you made preparations for it. So how yeah, did you uh, prepare for it? Well, I had been in martial arts since 1973, and this took place in 1981. So I'd already been in karate for about eight years, uh, started judo in 1977. So I had about four years of that. And then Bob announced the challenge on the ICW television show, which was in May of 1981. Hmm. And the prize was going to be a thousand silver dollars. So we didn't have a VCR or anything back then. So I know how the hole was applied. So I sketched it out. 
And I sat there for like 30 minutes trying to figure out how I was going to get out of this hole. And I'm going to tell you what, it's a good hole. <laughs> you know, I've heard you talk about how Gordon Nelson taught it to everybody. Right. And it was quite by accident how I finally figured out how I was going to try to get out of it. Because what happened was I took the sketch and I laid it on an ottoman and I went to my kitchen to get something to eat. And I came back. And when I looked down at the sketch, I was looking at it from a different angle. And the way I was looking at it, it looked like the people were standing up. And when the people were standing up, it's the same exact position as a judo hip toss. So the huh. person that's in the sugar hold is the person that would actually be executing the throw. And my thought on it was that it was a counter. The sugar hold was actually a counter to that hip toss because all you have to do is reach down, hook the leg, and you can lift the person up and drop them right down into the sugar hold. So Jeez. that's where I think it came from. Yes, I, I never heard that. I never heard that uh, that 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 way. And and that's pretty amazing, man. There's a whole lot of the similarities to judo and wrestling. And uh, yeah, that that one worked out really well for you, man. Uh, and you wouldn't have had it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't gone and had something out of the refrigerator, probably. Right? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I never I never would have saw it. It was just a fluke that I saw it. So. My plan going down there that night was that Bob was going to put me in the sugar hold and I was just going to execute a hip toss from the ground and bring him over. Right. So I went down to, I went down to the YMCA and I tried it out with my friends and I was able to bring them all the way over and get behind them and actually arm bar them. So Bob's a little bit different. Bob is a, a much more experienced competitor you know and my right. thought was i just wanted to compete against an olympian to see where i was because there wasn't a lot of tournaments or anything else going on and you just really don't know how good you are until you test yourself against somebody that's a lot better than you and that's true that's why i went down that's why i went down there so there was four of us and he went through the first three people pretty quickly and i got in there with him and at this point the people were just getting a good laugh out of it. And when I got in there, they were laughing at people and laughing at me pretty well because uh, <laughs> I didn't even look. I didn't look Bob in the face. One, I guess, right? You probably I was, the, I was. He took everybody by size. Hmm. So the largest person would go first and then I'd be last because I was the smallest one there. <laughs> and he put that first guy in a sugar hole. And as soon as the referee said go, I mean, just like within a second, this guy was screaming and wow. tapping and trying to get out of it. <laughs> and and Bob let him go, and he was just embarrassed. And, and it wasn't a small guy, <laughs> you know. And the guy in front of me was not much bigger than me, and he lasted a little bit longer. He lasted about 15, 20 seconds, and then he tapped out, and then I had to get in there. And so I got in there, and I didn't even look him in the face. I just kept seeing those Olympic rings and that USA on his uniform. <laughs> and it, it made me both apprehensive and excited at the same time because, you know, wrestling aside, I'm facing off against a guy from the Olympics. That was the big deal for me. I was a huge Olympics fan. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I just go in there and I lay down on the mat. I don't even look them in the eyes and, and they're kind of chuckling and saying, well, and I heard Bob say, well, okay then. So 
he gets down on the mat and he puts the sugar hold on me and I'm laying on my left side, wraps his arm around the back of my neck, hooks my leg, but he doesn't hook all the way through. He just puts his hand on the back of my back of my knee. So I'm watching the referee's lips for him to say go. And as soon as he said go, I twisted my body as hard as I could. I brought Bob face first into the mat. I went spread eagle on the mat. I put my forehead on the mat. And I had him in sort of an exaggerated arm bar, but he didn't go all the way over. He's still on my back. But I'm using my right arm for leverage to keep him down and keeping my head on the mat so he can't use that right arm to crank can't that hole. Can't get that leverage. Wow. Yeah. What was the crowd doing, Bill? I went nuts. It switched <laughs> immediately from like a pro wrestling crowd where they were laughing at me, all of a sudden they were screaming. <laughs> they were up and jumping up and down. And uh, this is my hometown. I mean, this is the hometown crowd. Oh, yeah. Wow. There's some people there that knew me. Yeah. So now I'm spread eagle on the mat. I'm face down. I've got him down there. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get my legs out from under him. And the only way I can figure out how to do it is to do a one-arm push-up to try to get up enough, get him up enough where I can slide my legs out. So I've got my left fingers on the mat where I've got his arm barred, and I start pushing up with my right hand, and I get all the way up. And just like a millisecond before I can slide my legs out, I hear him scream at the referee, damn, this boy's strong. (laughs) (laughs) He grabs my right leg. I mean, sorry, he grabs my left leg, flings me back around, to the uh, try to get me back to the start position, mm-hmm. and I landed on my back instead of my side. And as soon as I landed on my back, I kicked my legs up, and I scissor locked his head. So this is where it gets interesting because he's still got my head cradled in his right arm, and I'm just cranking down as hard as I can on that scissor lock. Right. And not only that, but I'm using that leverage pushing back with my head against his arm and trying to pull his head away from his body. So I figure at this point, it's going to be who blinks first. <laughs> Could you see his face at any time? Not from this point. At, at this point, I shut my eyes because the crowd was getting to be a distraction. Wow. And I didn't want that distraction. I just wanted to know. I just wanted to feel what was going on. Yeah. yeah. I didn't need to see what was going on. There wasn't really anything he could do that I wouldn't feel what he was doing. And he wasn't getting away from me, and I wasn't getting away from him. So this went on for, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds. And and I had both of my arms on the back of his arm, trying to get it off the back of my head. And I relaxed my arms for just a second, and then he relaxed his arm. And when he did that, I slipped my head out, and I kept that scissor lock on, and I rolled him over to the left side, and I kicked away from him, and I jumped up to my feet, and I'm looking at him and the ref. They're both still on the ground. I turn around. I throw my arms up. Everybody's jumping up and down in the <laughs> arena. And I turn around, and the referee had gotten up at this point, and he starts screaming at me, no, 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 you didn't beat the time limit. You didn't win. Wow. And I'm, oh. I'm what time limit? You yeah. guys didn't say anything about a time limit. Was there a bell or any? Uh, did anything sound that made you think? No. Okay. No. So – we start arguing about it and I went up to Bob and I said, look, if you don't think I beat this thing, get your ass back down there and we'll do it again. Wow. And he just looks at me <laughs> with this quizzical look. Wow. And then here's where it gets interesting because Bob says, hold still. 
and he, he walks up to me. He's looking at me real close and he puts his hands on the side of my head and he said, you've ruptured a bunch of blood vessels in your eye. And it's true. My left eye was just full of blood just from the pressure of the hole. Wow. Um, there was a lot of pressure. There was no pain because I was very flexible, but there was a lot of pressure. So we argued about it a little bit more. They decide to leave the ring. I look over at the timekeepers who are sitting at the table and I walk over there and I ask them about it. And I said, who was keeping time? And they said, we were. And I said, all right, I don't see a stopwatch or a clock or anything. And you can't see the clock from here. So how are you keeping time? And they just kind of look at each other and they get up and they walk away without saying a word. So now I'm left in the ring all by myself. Everybody's freaking out. And there's a high school friend of mine sitting over in the audience. And he asked me what was going on. I said, I don't think they're going to pay me. He said, well, go grab the mic. All right, <laughs> I'll go grab the mic. Wow. So I walked over, I grabbed the mic off the table. And I, first thing I said is I want my money because, you know, you're not going to pay me. I mean, sir, you're not going to acknowledge the accomplishment. You are going to pay me. So I start screaming at him, screaming bloody murder. And a few minutes later, Bob Orton Jr. walks to the ring and he calls me. He says, put the mic down, come over here. So I walked over to him and all he said was, uh, he said, hey, Bob Roop's a good guy. And it would be in your best interest to just forget about all this, get out of the ring. Otherwise, I'm going to get in the ring and put you in a hole. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know. And I didn't, I don't remember saying anything. I just, I had my hands on the rope. He's just a few feet away from me. And all I could think was, was just slap him across the face. I'm just so angry right now. But I don't do that. And he walks away, but he stands back there taunting me. And after a few minutes, I just grabbed the mic again and I start screaming at him again. So at some point they decide to go on with the show and Pez Watley comes walking to the ring with a pair of boxing gloves. And then about a minute later, here comes Rip Rogers. He and he and Pez are going to have a 10 round boxing match and I'm still in the ring and I'm not leaving. So the arena manager comes over and he tells me, you know, you got to get out of the ring now. I said, I'm not leaving. And he's got two police officers with him. And the police officer says, you either get out of the ring or you're going to get arrested. So I said, okay, fine. And I got out of the ring, but instead of letting me go back to my seat, they take me in the back and they lock me up in an office that they're using for a storage room. And I'm like, you know, what is going on here? So the arena manager comes back there and he said, I talked to him. They don't feel like you broke the hole. They said there was a time limit and they're not going to pay you. And I said, well, you better go talk to him again. I said, because I'm not leaving here until they do. So I went back there and he comes back a few minutes later and he says, uh, he said, I talked to him again. They still reiterate that, that they don't think you broke the hold, but they did say, if you want to stay and watch the rest of the show, you're more than welcome to stay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you would have won a, what a $5 ticket. <laughs> yeah. Well, $4 ticket. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, Oh, congratulations, so like, Bill. <laughs> there's a there's a stack of posters laying next to me. And I said, can I have one of these and a pencil? And he said, sure. And I, I picked up the poster and pencil, got the pencil. And I went out there and I tried to find those first three guys that were in front of me. I said, the hell with this. I'm going to sue these guys. I'm going to get these guys. I'm going to get their addresses. I'm going to call them as a witness and just sue them and this arena. And, um, 
the first guy didn't want to have anything to do with it. He just, he just didn't want to have anything to do with it. But the second and third guy started signing it. And then next thing I know, other people started coming up and asking me what was going on. And then this huge crowd started forming around me. And next thing you know, this poster's full of names and, and addresses and telephone numbers. And while all this is going on, the sheriff, um, Sheriff Sam Harrod was there with his grandchild. He calls me over there and he says, aren't you Billy Harding's boy? And I said, yeah. And um, my father used to be a police officer in Franklin. And he worked with Sam while Sam was sheriff. So he knew the family. And I, I start telling him what's going on. And out of the corner of my eye, I see them two police officers heading my way. And they're telling me now I'm going to get arrested for causing a disturbance. They take me back in the back, lock me up in that same office. And now I'm sitting back there and I get on the phone. I call my stepmom. I said, look, this thing's going haywire down here. I need a lawyer down here fast. And that police officer came in there and told me to get off the phone. And he wasn't kidding. He told me to put it down right then. And I said, I'll have to call you back. And I put the phone down. And then uh, Sam Harrod, the sheriff, came back there. And he told me to tell him the full story what was going on. And I told him. And um, he said, you sit right here. I'll be right back. So it's probably about 10 minutes later. He comes back with Angelo Papo. And Angelo just walks in. He says, all right, how are we going to work this thing out? He said, will you take $250? And I just looked at him and I just shook my head. No. He said, how about 500? 500 is a good deal. I said, after what you guys put me through tonight, I ain't leaving here with less than a thousand. So he just kind of looks at Sam and he looks back at me and shakes his head and he walks out. Sam says, you just wait here. I'll be right back. And, um, it was a short time later. He comes back and Sam says, come with me. And he and those two police officers escort me back to the ring and I can hear booing going on out there. Hmm. And as soon as I walk out with them, all of a sudden I hear cheering and I look up and Angelo and Bob are in the ring. And I think the referee was in the ring too. So I think Sam gets in the ring and I get in the ring and Angelo gets on the mic and he says, you know, he said, there was a, a miscommunication about the time limit. And he said, I think it's in our best interest that we just go ahead and pay the boy because, you know, he did a good job and, and they gave me a check for a thousand dollars. And for a second there, I'm thinking, well, where's that bag of silver dollars that Bob was promising on the show? Yeah. And I thought, well, yeah. I'll just be better off taking the check, getting the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, which is what I did. And then I had to go home and face my father because my father found out what I was going to do. And he forbid me from going down there. So he came in later and he was furious because when I got home, I found out my stepmother told him what was going on. He went down to the arena to get me. And, um, I had to wait for him to come back. And when he came back in, um, uh, he screamed at me for about two minutes and then he stopped and he was silent for a second. And he said, let me see the check. <laughs> <laughs> see the money. Yeah. Show me the money. Show it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, sh I showed him the check and I could tell he was mad, but he was proud at the same time. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> turned in, turned into a good story for him to tell his friends. Wow. Oh, man. And, it's a great uh, story for anybody, William. You know, it's a great story for anybody. And uh, wow, it's quite an accomplishment. Uh, haven't been in that sugar hole uh, many times. Uh, you know, uh, 
it's a it is a tremendous hold and uh, you just happened to to do your homework man and uh you had the body for it and uh, the strength for it and uh wow uh, it's well, a really knowledge. great story knowledge is a key thing yeah you know i had eight years of training going into that and i just yeah. had to figure it out there you go uh, i mean you, you don't get there you don't you don't do that without having the knowledge and the and the training and uh you know uh, uh just a really great accomplishment and what a great story uh william i'm I'm really glad, man. You you came on and told everybody, uh, this is a uh, this is going to be this is going to make this Studcast a special one, and uh, and I hope you're going <laughs> to listen to it at home, my man. <laughs> and I'm sure you probably will. will. Hey, Bill. Well, I just want to say what what an honor and privilege it is to be on this show. Um, a lot of respect for you guys. Hey, Bill. I want to ask did did the sheriff witness the whole situation? He saw everything that happened. He did. So he did you feel yeah. like he thought okay the, the right thing did not happen at the end of the situation so he kind of stood up for you Right They actually yeah. did an interview with him for the newspaper and he said I saw one went down he said the boy wanted fair and square wow. and they didn't wow. want to pay him and the, and, and then he told me like, Yeah he uh, told me the next day that he went back there and told Angelo he said you either pay the boy are you going to spend a night in my hotel? Oh, wow. Hey, but when you got the roar from the yeah, crowd. Man, there's fans out there that don't know uh, Angelo was the promoter. Angelo yeah. was the guy in charge of business there. And, <laughs> wow. You know, so he was yeah. he was the guy to be uh, responsible for everything. And uh, well, William, thank you. I, well, I really appreciate you being on, man. Wow. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Love the show. And thank you guys for having me on. Well, thank you, man. And, uh, and uh, you know, I get up that way. I'm gonna look you up sometime, okay, man. Uh, Definitely. I, I like to have Definitely. I like to have a have a, have meal with you, man. Okay. We'll go out and get a steak dinner. My treat. Oh, cool, cool. Well, thank you very much, William. Uh, William Harding, everybody. Thank you, guys. Uh, that was pretty crazy, Dave. <laughs> 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 you know. Hope everybody out there, man, enjoyed that, man, as much as I did, man. Uh, and then future stud cats, uh, you know. We're going to be discussing this same Bob Root, man. Uh, we're going to be, uh, you know, the one that we just finished uh, hearing his story, a little bit of his story, <laughs> uh, except we're going to be talking about this more in uh, 1978 and 79 when Bob Root is wrestling in Southeastern Wrestling. And uh, it's going to be the subject that, that's going to change everything for me and uh, maybe all of professional wrestling. Oh, wow. Okay. And listen, for Bill, uh, and again, thanks to Bill who – uh, gave us an opportunity to learn about something that is really fascinating. That is not the typical fans' night at the matches. So that that was really awesome. These studcasts just keep getting better. The last two, Ron, may have been two of the all-time best. So a job well done. Okay, so if you're on Facebook and you're looking to hang out with the legend, the Tennessee stud, you can do that. Ron now has more than 12,000 Facebook fans. The Ron Fuller Welch page is full at this time. To become friends with the Tennessee Stud on Facebook, go to either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud page, or his author, Ron Fuller Welch page, and do that as soon as you can because it's going to be growing as well. Simply follow him there and automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter and Instagram, follow him at Ron 
Fuller Welch. As simple as that. Ron's next Super Studcast will be released on Tuesday, September 14th of 2021. Find out who his special guest will be on the next Studcast. And the Southeastern Continental Collector's Edition DVD 5-pack. How about this? It is still available. 67 matches and more than 12 hours of tremendous action. It will close out soon. This could be your last chance to own a piece of true wrestling history. At tnstud.com, click Stud Store. Get it for only $39.99, and that includes shipping. And how about these Tennessee Stud masks? They're going fast. They're exactly like the actual mask that the Stud wore years ago. The same cloth, the same genuine leather face outline, the TS initials, and the horse's head on the sides, all hand-sewn onto the mask, exactly what the stud wore many years ago. Get your piece of unique wrestling history now for only 40 bucks with free shipping at tnstud.com. Click on Stud Store. Ron's thrilling novel, Brutus, has become the story the entire world talks about. Reviews tell the tale. 50 of them are five stars at Amazon.com. Keyword Brutus Novel is where the reviews are. You got to check them out. Get the book there or get the uniquely collectible autograph copy from the stud himself at TNstud.com. Click Stud Store. It's only $29.99 with free shipping. All right, so... What is currently going on with Southeastern Rewind, Ron? Put us up to date on that. Well, uh, you know, we, we were releasing something, man, every day now. It's really amazing. You know, uh, in the next five days alone, uh, there's going to be YouTube on the Southeastern Rewind's YouTube channel. It's going to be the original number 18 studcast and of the very popular Tell, My, Tell Me More question and answer show that we do together today. Uh, about three days after each one of these original studcasts are released. Les Thatcher and I are going to do another weekly rewind review of the latest USA TV show. A few days after the release of the show, this week we're going to break down the third USA TV show. The release of the original number 19 studcast is going to happen in the next five days. Then the fourth USA TV show is going to be added on Sunday, September 5th. Every Sunday, we're going to add a new television show. It's going to happen at 3 o'clock Eastern time. And something new is being released every day now on the Southeastern Rewinds YouTube. That is awesome. Saddle up and subscribe now on YouTube's Southeastern Rewind. Ring the bell and your bell will be rung whenever something new arrives on the channel. Follow the action in sequence and find out why old school was so cool. All right. So, Ron, would you like to remind everybody about that huge event that we talked about earlier in the Studcast that's coming in October? Yeah, yeah, I would, Dave. Uh, you know, I mean, there's so much happening in this event. Uh, you know, I, and I want to make sure everybody kind of understands what's going to happen, right? It's a, it's a two-hour free buffet dinner at one of, you know, at the world's famous Calhoun's on the River restaurant in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm going to be joined by Les Thatcher and a special guest as well. Uh, we're, we're going to be a part of a come and join us there and be a part of the live studcast. 
uh, plus a question and answer show that's going to last an hour. They're both going to be recorded. Uh, you're going to get to meet us. We're going to shake hands with everybody that comes, by golly, and uh, you know, and uh, and have a little conversation if we have the time with everybody. Uh, you can get two free eight by ten autograph photos. Uh, you know, you may win a door prize. There's going to be several of those. There's going to be a cash bar if you really want to come and uh, and uh, have a great time. And uh, there's going to be a lot of fun, I think, for everybody. So you know, uh, don't miss don't miss this one of kind one of a kind event. I don't know anything like this is being done. And uh, for only thirty bucks, you get a two hour plus opportunity to spend time with me and and two other wrestlers. A free world-famous buffet dinner at one of America's premier restaurants. Two free autograph photos from Les Thatcher and I. A $30 value in itself. And you get to ask questions and get them answered and be seen on maybe YouTube worldwide. Truly a night to remember, man. Oh, absolutely. This great evening is going to take place Wednesday night, October 13th, this year, 2021, from 7 to 9 plus PM get tickets on Ron's website at tnstud.com. Click stud store and click the Calhoun's on the river photo. There is a limited number of tickets available. So order now to reserve your unforgettable evening. And it is going to be one to remember. That is absolutely a remarkable evening, Ron. So what Studcast fan around the world wouldn't want to be at that event? Absolutely. So, just being in the Smoky Mountains area in October is fantastic. The leaves are changing, but uh, attending a special evening like this would make an even an even greater reason to add this to your vacation plans. So where do we ride to next week? Well, we're going to start uh, again with uh, today's training. We're going to go back to today's training again to open the show, basically. Uh, we're going to take a deep dive into the last Knoxville Amphitheater show of 1977. We're going to review the great TV promoting the, the results of that card and the attendance for that night. We're going to spend three weeks in the coming ones. We're going to spend three weeks in the Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium. And then we're going to return to the Knoxville Coliseum just three weeks before the NWA World Champion Harley Race is going to return to Southeastern. Uh, we're going to finish next week's studcast, obviously, with another great learning tree. Now, I want to thank everybody at uh, today and our special guest especially William Hardy for his time and the story that he shared with us and uh, and uh, I want to thank as always <clears throat> our great listeners for your wonderful support and uh, remind everybody to take care of yourselves and others and may God bless us all. Hey, God bless you too, Stud. This is David Summers thanking everybody for joining us and tell your friends about us. Please do that. And don't forget next week's Studcast. So long now from the Stud and the Great Smoky Mountains. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.